Listeners, this is Amory Zanzel, and you're listening to Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA Plus Stories Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm Barb Rowlandson, and Emory, we are now deep into season four of the Coming Out and Beyond podcast. And congratulations on what has turned out to be just a fantastic season so far. And no thanks to you, Barb Rowlandson, my brand new producer who is kicking ass in this podcast. Aww. <laughs> so I want to thank Barb and all of our guests and listeners who make this podcast so special. If you're new to this podcast, let me fill you in a bit on what we do here at Coming Out and Beyond. This is a podcast devoted to sharing stories of real people, primarily women, trans, and non-binary folks who have made the brave step of coming out maybe early in life or maybe later in life. And later in life, it's a subjective term. I mean, we have guests on the podcast that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 50s, and beyond. And they're from all walks of life, and they've discovered in their life's journey that they aren't quite as straight as they originally thought they were. And the lovely Anne-Marie here, our podcast founder and host, brings her signature compassion, wisdom, and insight as she interviews guests, creating a safe space for them to share their stories. And Barb, our podcast producer and occasional co-host and guest, and maybe in the future a host, joins us regularly for the first time in season four, adding fun, dimension, and a different perspective to topics surrounding the coming out later in life process. So if you're someone who is later in life, and early in the coming out process, here is where you are going to find inspiration and some great advice and a glimpse into the joy of what it means to come into your authentic sexuality. So relax, kick your shoes off, grab a cup of coffee or tea, or maybe your favorite libation, put your headphones on and join us for the next half hour or so to listen to another great true story about coming out later in life and what lies beyond. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA plus stories. This is Anne-Marie Zanzel, and I am so excited to welcome our two guests today who are experts in the field of codependency, traumatic relationships, and what else, Sherry? Love addiction, toxic relationships. <laughs> so Carla's a dating expert. So let me introduce them first. Carla Romo, certified life and dating and relationship coach. Sherry Gabba, LCSW and coach say love doesn't have to suck. They know this from overcoming their own dating and relationship horror stories, which led them to being experts in healing from codependency, dating and toxic relationships. Their 30 year age difference brings you an array of perspectives at any stage of life. If you're dating in a relationship or divorce, they've got your back. As hosts of the podcast, The Love Fix, they've got the latest tools on how to navigate dating and how to thrive in a successful relationship. Welcome, Carla and Sherry. It is so great to have you here today. Hello, hello. I'm excited to be here. Hi, Anne-Marie. I love being here. 
Oh, I'm so I'm glad I, you know, I have, I've been wanting to do this show for a while now because I have noticed, and as you both know, I am a recovering codependent that a lot of the women that I work with coming out later in life really struggle with codependency and all the things Sherry named at the top of the hour. And I'm really, really interested in getting your perspectives, but I'm also interested in hearing your story. So share my, tell me your story of how you got involved in this work. Well, I was married to an alcoholic and I noticed that I was super obsessed with him and focusing on him. And one day I realized, wow, this is really, really codependent where everything in my life is based on him. You know, when he's drinking, when he's not drinking. And I really got very sick. Actually, I had staph infections, kidney stones, lost hair, depression, anxiety, all those things focusing on him. And when it, when I had my emotional and I would say physical bottom, I finally had to really take a look at this. I mean, I knew about codependent anonymous and all these other pro 12 step programs, et cetera. But, you know, I was so focused on the addict alcoholic. I stopped looking at myself, which in and itself is codependent. So I would say that would be my bottom. I just stopped focusing on him. And then my whole career sort of changed from working with addicts and alcoholics to working with families of addicts and alcoholics, which morphed into working with love addicts and people attracted to toxic relationships, which for codependents, that is, they're like a magnet for each other, toxic individuals and codependents. Mm -hmm. And Carla, how about you? Right. So I actually like to say it started in my childhood. So my father was abusive. And as a result, I just didn't feel very loved. I didn't feel like I was enough. I didn't feel like I was worthy. And so I always was trying to seek out partners, even at a very young age. I always had crushes on boys and wanted them to like me. And, and you know, all the way theme through uh, high school, getting in really unhealthy relationships that were codependent to, uh, you know, my early adulthood. And it wasn't until I was in this abusive relationship where I realized, holy shit, like I've got two paths in front of me. Like I can either choose to continue being codependent and continue this path of trying to find these partners and fixing people to fulfill me inside and my self-esteem and my worth. And I realized that I have this other path that I can learn how to love myself and I can learn my about self-worth and uh, self, you know, feeling like I'm enough for myself and, and filling up my own cup so that I don't have to look outside for anybody else to do that. Learn what healthy communication is boundaries, red flags, all that good stuff. And so I ended that relationship. And as I like to say, I really begun the most important relationship that I ever will have. And I have today, which is the relationship with myself. And then from there, I thought, you know, other people are going through this shit too. (laughs) So, so I want to be able to be there and I want to support others who are struggling with self-esteem and self-worth that's tied into codependency. So I know Sherry came from, you know, a social work background. Did you come from a caring like profession background as well? No, I actually was working in Hollywood and I was working on a bunch of TV shows and, and, um, I was burning out. So it's a theme, like, you know, I I don't say you're just codependent in one area of relationships, like it seeps into everything. And, uh, from there, I just realized the relationships were no longer fitting with this change that I had made in my life and my career wasn't either. Mm -hmm. And I would add that codependency is really the loss of self. So, you know, when I think of when you mentioned career, you know, I've worked in addiction, I've worked in hospice, now toxic relationships, love addiction, all of those things are a loss of something, whether a loss of life, a loss of alcohol, a loss of a relationship. 
So really, you know, there's so many definitions for codependency. It started out with Melody Beatty's right. you know, definition, and then it kind of wor- uh, morphed into so many other definitions. And really underneath codependency is um, finding the lost parts of yourself. Well, yeah. And, and and thinking about Melody Beatty's book, Codependent No More, it's definitely. So can you talk a little bit how the definition has morphed over the years from like Melody Beatty, who sort of put it on the map back in the 80s to where it is now and how it is applied in, in different ways. And then we'll focus on relationships because that's what you guys are known for. <laughs> Melody is it, she endorsed my book Love Smack, so I am forever so grateful for that. You know, to get an endorsement by that woman, she is like the trailblazer of codependency, and her whole thing was it was the alcoholic you're with, right? So you're enabling, you're trying to fix, you're trying to manipulate, you're just trying to like you know work on that other relation, obsessed over that other relationship, which is really more my story in the beginning. Of course, I have other codependent traits as well, but that would be the heart of how it all began for me. And then it just kind of moved and, you know, people started writing other books and started talking about loss of self. Some people have written about shame and codependency. Um, Then there's a great, um, there's great information about how when you have an early, well, like Carla's story, trauma, trauma can lead to codependency. You know, you become other focused if you are neglected or abused or abandoned or your parents are addicts there, you don't really learn to have a sense of self because nobody is really bonding with you, attaching to you. That was a little bit of my, that is not a little, that's a lot of my story. And so Mm -hmm. then you look for outside for attention, for uh, validation. You want to be, you know, seen, you want to be known. And I would say that's how it kind of morphed. I mean, Carla, can you add to that? Yeah. I mean, I I completely agree with that. And I think as well, uh, you know, sometimes people, and there's no official definition. When I was writing my book, Contagious Love, there was no official definition of codependency. So that that makes me feel good because when people try to give, like, ask me to give a definition, I'm like, uh, say whatever you want. uh, (laughs) So go ahead, Carla. There's actually authors, but Carly, you want to finish and then I'll say what I was. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that there's no official like clinical definition for codependency. And so it, but but back to what Sherry said, it's really loss of self. Like that's really what it is. And your focus is on somebody else. And um, some people in the profession disagree with other definitions. So there is a little controversy. Yeah. Where some people are like, no, you have to be codependent with something like a third thing in the relationship, whatever. But I, I believe, and from my own personal experience and professional experience as an expert in the space, I believe it's loss of self. That's really at the end of the day, what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are many that uh, don't even like the word. They think it's stigmatizing. I've had a lot of people say, you know, stop using that word codependency, you know, in my posts and stuff. They they get really angry. I want, there's another author, He's he specializes in sex addiction. I don't know how he got into this subject, but he thinks that, you know, stigmatizing codependency makes people look like um, you can't care about people. You can't be compassionate about people. The whole idea of codependency, and if you look at the first step of CODA, Codependence Anonymous, is your life has become unmanageable because of another person. So that doesn't mean you can't be a caring, loving, generous, kind individual. You just don't want your life to go, you know, crazy over this person, which is what happened to me. So I kind of disagree with those naysayers, actually. Well, I know that when, so I did something called, um, I became a chaplain. And so I did something called clinical pastoral education. And my first supervisor called me codependent. (laughs) And when she did, I was very insulted. 
very insulted because the neg- the connotation was sort of negative, but I also didn't know what she meant. And so when I allowed it in, I was able to say, yeah, you know, you're right. And so my next question for you both is how is codependency related to people who like Carla, like myself, like you in a lot of ways, Sherry, grow up in sort of like a traumatic home? I always think of ACOAs, which are adult children of alcoholics, but not everybody's got parents that are alcoholics, but parent, they do have parents that have troubling behavior. How is codependency related to that? Well, I was going to say, I just want to jump in and say like family dysfunction. Yeah, it doesn't okay. have to be, they don't have to be an alcoholic. So I just want to preface that. But yeah, yeah go ahead, Sherry. I was going to say the opposite of addiction and codependency is just one of those other, you know, process addictions really is connection. So if you're not getting that connection early on in life, then you're, you're going to always be looking outside yourself. So you're going to either be looking for drugs, alcohol, love, gambling, food, whatever it is. Codependents just happen to be addicted to other people and wanting to fix, manipulate, control, and all of that, all the above. And just being other focused. It's such a great distraction, right? Like if you don't want to really, and I know, I know I use codependency for a lot of things. I used it for not really looking at my true self. You know, I've, I've, my sexuality is rather fluid and being, you know, distracted with writing books and be, and him and this and that, it took me away from going inward, inward, inward. And when I really stopped being codependent or, you know, well, we're always going to have shades of it. But mm-hmm. when I started getting into recovery, then I could really look inside because I had no more distractions. I mean, take away the distractions and all you have left is yourself. Right. And, and that's why the pandemic has made people do a lot of inward looking. So let me ask you the next question then. What are some signs that like people can look for in their own personal behavior to say, oh yeah, maybe this is something I need to look into a little bit more? Okay. I'm grinning because this used to be me. Uh, And now this is a lot of my clients who come and work with me. But I would say the biggest one is what is your motive for being in the relationship? People don't think about your motives for being in the relationship. If it's to fix, if it's to help this person, if you're staying because you see the best in them and you see the potential, like get in touch with the motive because if it's in there because they're their own person and they, you know what, I love them and I care about them and sure they annoy the shit out of me, but that's, you know, at times, but that's also being in a relationship sometimes and that's okay. They can make their own choices and they'll find their own path. When you look at codependency and you're in a relationship that's healthy, right? You have boundaries. So if your partner's doing something or maybe their mental health isn't that great, you're like, okay, like I love them and I care about them. I'll make one suggestion about, Hey, you know, maybe see a therapist, seek some help out, like what's going on. But codependency is let me look up all the therapists for you. Let me find the drug rehab place. Let me give you a list of these places. And I'm going to keep at it and keep at it and keep reminding you, right? The motive is no longer about loving a partner and letting there be autonomy in a relationship. The motive in codependency is I need you to be okay so that I'm okay. Mm, That's a really, really good point. I've also noticed with our later in life community when they're coming out is that a lot of times I do a lot of work around they really want their husband to get help. And, and so they're looking up therapists, they're asking, where can I find somebody to, for him to have and stuff like that. And I'm like, but that's his responsibility that like, you're look, you have found a community, you have found people to help you, you have done all this, and you can't take care of him. And that's to me is like a, re- like a red flag. I hate that word, but you know, a red flag of being super codependent. 
Anne-Marie, I hear you have a new project in the works. Yes, ma'am, I sure do. And I am so beyond excited to talk about it. It is time for me to spill the beans. Okay, okay, girl, spill the tea. What are you up to? Okay, so I am starting a brand new podcast called Queer Business Success. This is a show devoted to queer coaches, therapists, and entrepreneurs showcasing to the world unique businesses led by people within our LGBTQ plus community. In doing this podcast, I want to uplift those amazing queer entrepreneurs, highlighting the important work they do and demonstrating how queer business owners add tangible value to our communities. I want this podcast to be an inspiration to any person in the LGBTQIA plus community and show you that if the queer business owners on the podcast can be a success, so can you. Oh gosh. Okay. I love this. I love this. And we both know how important representation is for our community. It is so important for visibility and for acceptance, for tolerance, and really for the good of everyone to see examples of queer people lead and succeed in business. And in today's social and political climate, this is more important than ever. Visibility matters, right? That's a key motivator for me in starting the Queer Business Success Podcast because I want you, the queer listener, to hear examples of success stories from other queer entrepreneurs and for those stories to give you inspiration and confidence to step up, step out, and build your own queer business success story. Learning from the successes and the lessons of others who have come before you I love this. Me too. And we'll be talking about all kinds of things related to business success, but we also want to hear about challenges too. We are promoting you, your product, and your service for visibility to our LGBTQIA community, but also to the whole world as well. All right. Well, I'm here for it. Where and when can I tune in? Success Podcast drops soon on Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you normally tune in. Just search for it on your favorite platform. That's Queer Business Success with me, your host, Amory Zanzel. And fill out the form in the show notes to be alerted when the first show drops. And if you have a business that you would like us to highlight, shoot us a quick email at support at amoryzanzel.com. That will be in the show notes as well. Yeah. And I would add that, like, let's say you do have low self-esteem, which is often underneath codependency, like Carla talked about, like low self-worth, low self-love. You end up wanting to hold somebody hostage so that uh, they need you and they won't leave you. So when I look at a lot of the history of my relationships, a lot of them, quote, needed me. You know, I don't know if they loved me. I'll never know. I suppose they did. But I know they needed me. And if they needed me, they weren't going to leave me. And since I had very severe abandonment issues, this was like perfect. So if you're someone, you know, looking to be, you know, a lot of women attract, well, a lot of people, men and women attract people that might be quote, you know, less than, I don't even want to say less than not in their league. That sounds terrible, but looking for someone that they can control. Let's look at it. Let's say, put it that way. Someone they can control. And they know that if I can control you and you need me, you won't leave me. So that's a huge, huge thing to look at. So let's, let's sort of shift our focus towards 
people who you, you said something before Sherry about relationships. Like there are people that seek out certain types of relationships because of their codependent behavior. And, and it doesn't change just because you start dating women, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, it, it, people are people and behaviors are behaviors. And so a lot of times women think, oh, I'll just date a woman. It'll be easier. And we both can laugh. <laughs> but that one, but right. unavailable is unavailable. Love avoidant is love avoidant, anxiously attached, securely attached. Doesn't matter if you're dating women or men. And it's very important to understand that, that just because you change the sex doesn't mean the whole dynamic of dating is going to be any different. I, I do know there's there's a great book out there on lesbian love addiction. And I think there are some different ways women connect in terms of codependency on, on some levels. And it probably, you probably have way more experience than me, Anne-Marie, in this area. But, you know, there, <laughs> there are, you know, there are some like, um, you know, they talk about lesbian bed death and you know you're like you meet and you got you got the the, the u-haul you know there's just like immediate boom now if you looked at that in a male female you probably call that pretty codependent i don't know is that codependent for lesbians maybe not so much because that's the way lesbians relate or it's just some people move in too quick together (laughs) you know and and yes yeah. yeah. Some people, and you know, it's so funny because we, you know, it's a lesbian trope, right? You know, that they're going to U-Haul and stuff like that. Um, but the thing is, is that straight people move in together too quickly all the time too, you know? And so Absolutely. it's just, yeah, like they should, they should give it a little bit of time. So some of my questions is then like when you're starting a new relationship with somebody, what are some things to what are some green flags? Let's not uh, red flags feel so negative. So, like, what are some green flags that you should look when you're starting a new relationship, especially when you're you're also working on your own self-love? I would say consistency. I mean, is this person consistent? Are they getting back to me? Are they showing up on time? Are they planning things like they said they would? Uh, do how do I feel? Do I feel comfortable with them? Do I feel at ease with them? Do I feel bored with them? Because bored is sometimes a really good thing. And Cherry can talk on that too, of why it's a good thing to feel bored in, in the beginning of dating in a relationship. Well, it can be, unless the person's really boring the next. But uh, but you know, you wanna you wanna make sure that you feel comfortable, that they're consistent, that you're with somebody who's respectful, not just of you, but others around you, wait staff. How do they talk about their ex? And another green flag is they don't disclose a lot of information about their past or traumas early on in dating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, feeling safe, feeling secure. We always want to be moving towards secure attachments, so feeling safe and secure. Uh, you know, steady Eddie, none of that love bombing where they're texting you all the time, sending you lavish gifts, you know, sending you tickets to all over the world to travel, like all that over the top stuff. All of that in the beginning is a little much, and that's usually a sign of something unhealthy. So you want to be looking at those things. You know, are you walking on eggshells, or you like Carla said, are you feeling calm? Are you feeling? Is there a flow? Um, I don't think it's supposed to be that hard. You know, a lot of people will say, "Oh, relationships are so much work. They're so hard." Sure, they they have their ebbs and flows, but I don't think it's supposed to be like a job, a hard job, constantly working, working, working. Why? Okay. I also want you to touch on the nervous system. 
because I think that's so important of like why people feel bored and you're really great. I really want to hear about, yeah. Like, why is it good to be bored? Well, why is it good to be bored? I always had a cousin when I first got married the first time and she's been married probably 55 plus years. And she's like, Sherry, the the right guy is going to be boring. And she was absolutely right. And what does that mean? Because when you grow up with a high intensity childhood, then you're going to look for high intensity. You look for what you know. And if you're looking for what you know, and you grew up with abandonment, addic- you know, addiction, neglect, and all that craziness in your family, chaos, dysfunction, that's what you're looking for. Well, then you're going to just repeat the pattern of where you came from. So what we have to learn to do, and what Carla was um, talking about, is regulate our nervous system. So we have three different aspects to our nervous system. We have the parasympathetic, we have the ventral vagal, and we have the dorsal vagal. So when you're in this high intensity, you're in fight, flight, fight, flight. And so if that's what you're used to and someone is boring, that's going to be more in ventral vagal, which is where you want to be calm, relaxed, serene, but you're used to being up there in fight or flight. And then you could also be in what's known as dorsal vagal, which is hopeless self, you know, you self-medicate, you're in freeze, you you're numb, you're, you don't, you feel, you know, helpless that you don't want to be there either. You want to be in that ventral vagal state because we have beautiful nervous systems that are constantly regulating, but we have to learn how to do that. So just notice where am I when I'm with this person? Oh, I feel like I'm in fight flight. Oh, where am I when I'm, when I'm with this person? Oh, he makes me feel bad. He makes me, makes me feel bad about myself because he's critical. Oh, that may be hopeless, helpless, dorsal vagal. Oh, when I'm with them, it's calm, it's serene, there's a flow. Oh, that's ventral vagal. That's where I want to be. So you think of it as a ladder. And um, it's a great metaphor for seeing where you are in the relationship or someone that might be a date who could be a potential partner. That is great explanation, Sherry. Good job. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love, I love it. Channeled through God. I don't even know where it came from. But I love I just, it. <laughs> Well, but I also can imagine that it can be really hard for people, especially when you're young, Carla, I think about like when you were younger and like when I was younger, you know, I was used to the fight or flight. And so that felt normal. That was my normal that, you know, it was dysfunctional, but it was my dysfunction and I was comfortable in it. And, you know, it was, it felt very normal to me to be in a real heightened state with a partner because I spent my childhood in a heightened state with my mom and dad. And so how do you begin to recognize that? Like, like, you know, it's like, once you recognize it, you recognize it, but it takes a while to be able to like, recognize that this is what's going on for you. And this isn't healthy for you as a human being. How do you like get to, how do you get to that? I think it's a process. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's really just like you recognize and there you go. I think it's it's kind of hitting bottoms and realizing, oh, something's not right. Hold on. I kind of want to make a change. I'm going to go see a therapist, right? Or I'm going to hire a coach. And then I refer clients out to therapists. I still work with my coaching clients, but I'm like, hey, I think there's something a little deeper here with childhood stuff and trauma that I can't go into. So get a therapist. Um, but I, I think there's stages to it. I think it's hitting bottoms and recognizing, oh, something's not right. I don't really like the way... I'm living this life. And I, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. When you're in it as a child, you don't know the difference. You think that's yes. normal. You do right. not know the difference. But as an adult, when you start to have awareness, that's where you take responsibility. So, And, and that's why you want to look inward, not only inward 
in your brain, but more importantly, inward in your body. Like, how am I feeling in my body? You know, am I anxious? Are, are my shoulders tight? Am I sweating? Like, you know, when I was in a toxic relationship, I, the anxiety got so bad, like so bad that I was like, oh my God, I have to get out of this. And then you go into fight flight. Now you could go into fight flight for other reasons. You may be a love avoidant, you may be someone who fears intimacy, but if you are in a toxic relationship, you're with the wrong person, you're feeling anxious, it doesn't feel right. You know, we have the purpose, the, the perfect GPS system. We really do know what we know inside our bodies. So if you don't know, and you're and a lot of clients will say, what are you talking about in my body? Like what? Because you have been so distracted and outside of yourself. And you want to find a great trauma therapist, which is what I do, to really help you go inward and work on um, you know, getting rid of all that toxic energy inside of you. Where is the energy? Where does it live? How do I release it? And then once you do that, you know, you're, you're freed up inside, you know, you're just, you're freed up to be a healthy whole human being. Yeah. And I'd even share from the coaching perspective. So once you've kind of regulated your nervous system with a therapist, now it's about how do you elevate your life? Where do we go from here? How do we go from point A to point B? Right. And that's where I help a lot of my clients who've been in really unhealthy relationships go to really healthy relationships and really healthy dating. Cause it's all right. Like I had a client and she was uh, on a date and she, she was like, this guy's boring. And she's used to having her activation system going. And I was like, go on a second date. Now they're getting married. I mean, it's been some time. It's not like they hopped into getting married right away, but she was like, wow, he's not boring at all. This is amazing. And like, I feel really safe with him. And this is the first time this is different. So it's really about making choices, like contrary action, the opposite of maybe what you've done before, which is uncomfortable, but that's how you, that's how you create change. Well, yeah. And that's how you get outside your comfort zone because exactly. what, keeps, what keeps us in our comfort zone is fear. And yep. so once, you know, her and, and like, like, let, let's use this client for an example. Yeah. Like she was fear, afraid of being bored of not, you know, maybe not connecting with him. He may be too safe for her, you know, like, you know, that, that old trope of like uh, liking the bad boy or the bad girl. I mean, there's a reason. Well, I was, I was that just reminded me, I used to do hospice, as I mentioned, and I also worked in nursing homes and so forth. And I would ask these older people, like, you know, what made your marriage last so long? And of course, some of these marriages might have been really awful, but when they weren't necessarily awful, they would say things like, oh, he was really loving and he was adoring and we were great friends and he was good to me. And, you know, you weren't hearing, oh, wow, he smelled good. He tasted good. Uh, <laughs> you know, he was hot. Oh, I loved his tattoo on his chest. You know, I mean, <laughs> hear those things, right? So I always, that always stuck with me. And I was like doing a research, you know, like how could, you know, because I wanted to know because I'd been such an F up in relationships, right? And that to me was a really great example of, you know, healthy love. Hey, Anne-Marie, you have been working with the Later in Life community for about five years now. Is that right? Yeah, Barb, that's right. You know, it has been such an amazing five years of helping women, trans and non-binary people through their process of coming out, going from the, their straight lives to the LGBTQIA plus community. Anytime I read through your testimonials page, I get a little choked up. I'm going to be honest because I see what the Lotus Group Coaching Program has done for people and how it has literally changed lives for the better. And this year, the coaching program has undergone some changes to make it even better. Yes, Barb, and thank you so much. We've worked really hard on this Lotus Group Coaching Program, haven't we? <laughs> 
Yeah, sure have. So we're trying to make it even more accessible to more people because as you know, there are thousands of us out there who are just starting on their coming out journey. Okay, let's explain to the people. What does new and improved Lotus Group Coaching Program look like? So I'm excited to tell you, Lotus Group Coaching is a four-month holistic program that includes a mixture of individual and group coaching, an online learning platform with tons of resources, worksheets, articles, and videos, and new coaches, including you, my friend. Yay! <laughs> That's right. And, you know, I'm new to the coaching team and working with later in lifers who have had a catalyst experience. And I'm your coach if you're stepping out into the world of dating in the queer community. We've got another amazing team member, too. Yeah, actually, we do. And her name is Linda Moore, our resident Reiki master and energy healer. And she works with our coaching clients remotely to help group members feel more aligned and grounded. And at the heart of this program, the thing that provides what I think is the most valuable is the group coaching sessions. You know, I don't think people understand how group coaching is really transformative. Our group members will tell you this part of the program has such a huge impact. It's where you can be in a community of people who are on this journey that you are. You see yourself reflected in the stories of others, gain clarity and so much wisdom from other people who are on this coming out journey with you. Okay, so in addition to having access to three great individual coaches, group coaching, an online learning platform. There's also a secret Facebook group that's just for group members only. Yes. And really, as a member, you have an access to the secret Facebook group forever, but also to the online course forever as well. And you'll also be first in line for any special promotions or events or workshops, which you'll learn about through the Lotus Group Coaching Newsletter. And there's an enormous value to this program. So if you're feeling ready to tackle the big life transition of coming out, join us. We're a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yes. Please don't go through this very challenging process alone. Learn and be supported by others who have come before you. You know, Emery and Linda and I, we're all later in life too. Yeah, and you know what else I want to say is that sometimes when we are overwhelmed with all the feelings of coming out, we also tend to isolate ourselves. We begin to withdraw from our communities and the people that love us because they don't understand this process. And so you don't have to do this alone. Let us stand with you. We will walk beside you shoulder to shoulder as we guide you towards a life where you can be open, out, secure, and proud in your queer identity. Just look in the show notes below and you'll find links to book discovery calls with Anne-Marie and Linda and I and call us. Tell us your story. Let us show you how to come out later in life successfully. We really look forward to hearing from you. So Sherry, you mentioned very quickly, and I want to, we don't have a lot of time, but I really want to talk a little bit about your trauma therapist. So how does trauma affect our relationships? Well, if we don't release it, we're living in a trauma, we're we're living, we're we're activated all the time. We're not, we're like we were talking about earlier, we're either in fight flight or we're in dorsal vagal, we're depressed. 
we're, we're not living our authentic life. And I know people overuse that word authentic life, but I know I used to think it was, it's really true. Isn't it? I used to like, when you, when you learn about what that really means, like, you know, healing, and that's another one in the therapy world, peeling of the onion. Yeah. But it's true. You got to get to that core self and then, you know, you can be really, and again, another one true to yourself, but I'm not kidding. That really matters. You have to know yourself. Remember, if you're having a talk, if you're meeting toxic people, then you're probably having a toxic relationship with yourself. And Mm -hmm. you need to change that. And the way to change that, I think, is trauma therapy, not just talk therapy. Um, I think a lot of people get stuck there and they end up with a talk therapist and they're just talking about their problems. And it's like this revolving door. And we know now that's not enough. Um, What's the difference between trauma therapy and talk therapy? So like I work. Uh, with people in a somatic way. So we find, we, I ask them, what do they notice in their body? They'll be talking about some kind of trauma and I'll say, where do you notice that? And then we'll resource and we'll do some grounding and then we'll go back to, where do you notice that? And then we'll talk about another rupture, another trauma event, traumatic event. And then we'll go back into the body. There's EMDR, which is, uh, Carla knows more about that. I don't do EMDR, but it's eye movement desensitization, which is really using bilateral points to um, to reprocess trauma. But again, I don't do EMDR. There's tapping. Tapping is a great modality. Nervous system regulation. Just the one tip I gave about nervous system regulation is really a trauma modality right there. Um, There's so many great therapies that use trauma. Talk therapy is just talking. There's no access to the body. There's no access to what's going on inward. Listen, I was a therapist for years and did talk therapy. And then about 12, 13 years ago, I found an amazing I actually took a course to learn about somatic experiencing. And I went, oh my God, oh my God, I'm so not present. I'm so not present. And then I found this great therapist and it was the best thing I ever did. It's been a long journey. It doesn't happen overnight. I think a lot of people are looking for quick fixes. Trauma therapy is not a quick fix. It's just Mm -hmm. not, it's just not, you know, you've been this way for a long time. Now it's going to take a few minutes. So if anybody out there is promising you quick fixes, it's that's, not how trauma therapy works. Um, and then most important, really, when you pick a therapist in general is, is do you have and a coach as well? I'm sure. Do you have a connection? Do you feel safe? Can you talk? Are you feeling judged? Are they compassionate? You know, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to like wrap us up right now because you guys have given such amazing information and I'm really, I have like a gazillion more questions, but then we would be talking another hour and a half. So we'll come back. So. If you were to, I'm going to change the question a little bit. If you were going to recommend any book for people who are like just exploring being codependent, what would you recommend at at this point? You know, like they're just, they've never really thought about it before. Would you go with the tried and true Melody Beatty? What would you do? What what would you recommend? Can I recommend a different form of media? (laughs) Like, absolutely. Honestly, and I'm not just saying this to like pitch our podcast, but there really aren't many codependent podcasts out there. Mm-hmm. And I think the way, like, so the love fix is what Sherry and I's podcast, because we literally made it like this, the, for this exact reason of what the question was to just get people, like, just give them enough information to start exploring, learning tools, hearing from some of the best experts, getting resources, people to work with through the podcast. And it just like a brief little introduction. So we've got diff- multiple different episodes that go into exactly what that question is. Like, what is codependency? Let me learn a little bit about it. How do, what are tools, um, different forms of codependency, whether it's addiction or codependency to 
people, persons, places, things. So I'm, and I'm not just, I promise I'm not just saying this to like give ourselves some clout here. Like I genuinely, like this is why we created that podcast. And I think we've got some really great people on it to talk about codependency. So I would say check out the love fix, but I I don't know, Sherry. And absolutely. I would agree with you hundred percent. Check out the love fix. There are some really great podcasts that cover this subject out there. And it's also podcasts are great because you can listen to them when you're going on to go into work and on oh, the yeah. subway and on your run. And, you know, so you can, you can listen while you're doing other things, which is really good. I, I listen when I clean the house. Sherry, how about you? Well, how could I not recommend my book? Love Smack. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Kindle. So if you go to the regular Amazon, it's not going to be there. It's on Kindle. And then I think I would, I would definitely recommend Carla's book, which is, what is the name, Carla? Contagious Love, Break Free from Codependency for Damn Good. Exactly. Ah, so our two yes. books, Contagious Love and Love Smack. And then if you're trying to explore trauma, Waking the Tiger is one of the best books on trauma, in my opinion. So you both have done a tremendous amount of work on this stuff. Like, you know, your own codependence, your own trauma. How do you describe your life today versus before? Sherry, go ahead. Jump into this one. Well, I'm going to say this. I think, you know, just like sexuality or anything else, I think it's fluid codependency. And sometimes we have relapses. And although I feel I have the basis down, I sometimes relapse and I, I get into situations that, you know, I'm kind of going backwards. And so I say this so that anyone listening today, there's no shame or blame. I would say that I have, I have more compassion for myself. I don't, I don't beat myself up quite as much <laughs> and, you know, just see it as a process. You know, there's no, there's no destination. You're just continually doing this work. Mm-hmm. And and I wanted, I, I just want to join in with you, Sherry, because like one of my biggest moments I was in Al-Anon because my ex-husband and I used to go to Al-Anon on a date night on Friday nights because we both grew <laughs> we both grew up in very alcoholic homes. And so, of course, right, you know, I married somebody that was very similar to me. And um, and one of the things is like I realized something about myself. And like in that meeting, I had this moment of like, oh, just because I know this about myself doesn't mean it's fixed. Right. You know? And so I, I was just talking about this last night in the, one of the sport groups I run about how, um, just because we realize something about ourselves doesn't mean that it is fixed, but it's also like, I approach my life with so much self-compassion these days. And I, you know, I get myself in code, you know, in those situations and have learned really to be like, ah, there it is again, <laughs> but not with any judgment, but just like, eh, there it is. You know, yeah. awareness, is there, awareness is the first step. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And Carla, how about you? So, so I would say the biggest thing is I get to choose my life today. I don't have to let codependency run it. And that is the most empowering thing. It does not mean my life is amazing. It doesn't mean that I have everything perfect and figured out. We never figure out things in life. So if you're in codependency right now and you're like, I'm never going to figure it out. No, but it sure is a hell gets a lot better. So I definitely get to choose my life. I really love myself. I honor myself through that. And I, you know, I always say it's a journey. Like there's no destination to this stuff at all. Uh, things happen and I have to show up on a daily basis. This is a daily practice for me. This Mm -hmm. isn't something that I just get to graduate from and become an expert and I know what's best. No, like I'm not God. So, (laughs) so I, I get to show up every day and I get to make choices. And sometimes I make choices that, you know, 
get me off the bandwagon a little bit, kind of like Sherry was talking about. But then I have choices and recognize, oh, but I can get back on because I've got the tools. I have the foundation there. I just feel a lot happier because I get to make those choices even And I think happiness is a choice when I say happiness, because it doesn't mean things are amazing in my life. Doesn't mean things are going just so great. And that's why I'm happy. I'm happy because I get to have these choices and I get to navigate life like on my terms. Well, Sherry Gaba and Carla Romo, thank you so much for being on the uh, podcast today. I really highly recommend their podcast, The Love Fix. If this is all new for you and you've never really thought about it before, this podcast can really help you figure out the best way to navigate codependency, learn about it, and also be really gentle on yourself because this is a journey. It's not like, it's not like the love fix, right? It's not all fixed and it's all done. It is. And we have a great quiz as well. Yes. Tell me about the quiz real quick. Yeah. You can go to thelovefix.com. That's thelovefix.com. And then we've got an awesome quiz on there is, are my relationships healthy? So if you're listening, you're like, I'm not sure. I don't know where I fall on this. Definitely take the quiz there. And we've also got different programs. We've got a women's coaching program. That's really great. So definitely go to the love fix and check it out. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It was wonderful to have you. Thank you. You've been listening to Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA plus stories with Anne-Marie Zanzel. New episodes of the Coming Out and Beyond podcast drop every other Friday. You can tune in at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at annemariezanzel.com. Be sure to hit subscribe when tuning in so you never miss an episode. And for more resources, articles, videos, and a free downloadable guide for coming out later in life, visit annemariezanzel.com.